0: It is locked on Jazz for the 28th of December. The Jazz defense top level all night, but the offense eludes them in the fourth quarter. Were they bad shots? No. But and get Lowry the ball. Is it a viable, legitimate complaint from Jazz fans? The Wolves are collapsing. Do we have a route for Victor? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Bum 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 bum. There it is. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz. Your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps. You can subscribe and follow. Plus, on YouTube, you can subscribe for free. And also hit that bell button that lets you know uh, that uh, every time we are uh, we go live or we just put up an episode. So thank you very much. Uh, jazz defense last night was was really exceptionally good, which we have talked about kind of consistently on this show and so I wanted to start there and focus there i I will say it does feel like kind of a funky loss, and uh you know i don't you know i I did the show a little while ago of kind of i th- i feel like um befuddled a little bit of like what you're cheering for, looking for, wanting out of this team all the time like um you know are you treating them like that you're supposed to be a high level contender and so you're psychoanalyzing every game, Are you treating them like they're supposed to be a tanker, so you get weird and get like upset every single time they win. Um, you know, it, it it does feel like a kind of a funky element. It, it I saw this trip kind of okay, I, I, I thought this was a really important trip. They they're nineteen and sixteen, I think, when the trip started. I thought you should win in San Antonio. You could you knew we weren't getting staff. It was a back to back. You knew you weren't getting And You knew you weren't getting Wiggins. And then you're heading into Sacramento, who I thought, actually, when we left on the trip, Sabonis would be hurt, but he played last night, um, and they won against Denver. And I was looking at the West, and I was like, okay, this thing is so close that you're never really going to be secure, but I did think, hey, if there's a way we could kind of link like a few in a row here, you'd, you'd come off two in a row... You go get the next two, you're four in a row. You start feeling really good about yourselves again. You're healthy. We're getting healthy at an unusual time during the season. Most people are not healthy, and we're getting healthy. And maybe you pull off all three. Maybe that was a stretch, but you're 22 and 16. You know, all of a sudden, you're six games above 500. And <clears throat> when you start down this road, if you're 22 and 16, and, you know, this is not obviously going to happen now, but you, you would have had, um, you know, what 44 games left you go 22 and 22 the rest of the way you you've you've suddenly won 44 you you go one or two more games over 500 you've won 46 48 and you're in the playoffs not the play-in and I thought this was a really signature moment in time um, for us to be able to have that and kind of um, and to break through in that fashion and so um, I, I think that it just having it not happen, I, I don't, I don't want to overstate it. That I think, in in some capacity, this is a, um, you know, st- route changing um, three game stretch here. Are these two losses, particularly because I don't think Danny Ainge and Justin Zanek and Ryan Smith have ever changed their route. I think they've always been on a thirty six to forty eight month route of of building a championship level team. And it, at the same time you know, I think it's a feeling that you're trying to, um, somebody just continually is calling me, uh, on, sorry, I, and I keep stopping it, um, and so I, you know, I, I, anyway, I think it's, um, the, when you look at that, um, I don't think it changed it, but it does, it feels to me like these were two. um. I don't know. I just thought these were two wins and kind of could have really gotten the ball rolling and it didn't happen. Though I do think the defense was great last night. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, frankly, on the whole, on that last to finish that last thought, sorry I was interrupted. I, you know, the bottom line of Danny is he just doesn't make deals unless it's a good, it, good deal for the Jazz. Like, he's just not making deals for the sake of deals, which has been his signature in all of his time in Boston when I went through all of his picks. So I don't think that's going to be different. But let's talk about the defense last night. First quarter, the defensive rating was a 100. That is so good. Now, hey, I got it. They don't have their guys, but I don't care. You still have to put it on. These are NBA players. The second quarter, the defensive rating was again a one hundred. Now the Jazz offense kind of fell apart in that second quarter. Kind of, we kind of didn't notice it at the time, but uh, had an eighty-four offensive rating in that second quarter. In the third quarter, the Jazz defensive rating was not as good. It was a it was a one thirty-six. And then in the fourth quarter, it was really good. It was a 96. So three out of four quarters last night, the Jazz held the Warriors to below a point of possession. Um, their first half defensive rating was a 100. It's so good. Like, you win games when you have a 100. And the second half was only a 116. The offense was actually below one point per possession. So, you know, to me, there was a high level of juice a really high level of game execution last night a really good energy and effort level defensively and i thought a collectiveness defensively now the warriors scorekeepers it turns out are really wacky in what they where they do shot distribution I, i'm going to try to look into see some home versus road discrepancy stuff here but the fact of the matter is that the Jazz that Will already really said to the guys protect the paint. Alex Jensen said to us, "Hey, we've got to do a better job of denying the rim." And last night, the Jazz did a better job of denying the rim than they did against San Antonio. San Antonio, boom, 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 just straight drives to the basket, and that was not the case at all last night. So, really impressive to me in in a lot of ways how the Jazz last night kind of fought through and worked through um, what they were doing and defensively stayed engaged the whole game. I thought that was a major step. And we've done three shows on can you be a better defensive team. And certainly the Warriors without Steph and without Clay and without Andrew Wiggins are easier to defend some other teams. But San Antonio at their regular strength is not that great and they torched us. So this was a really nice positive step in the right direction for the Jazz defensively. And I thought, the other thing I thought was positive was back to the high level of juice that the team has played with, played with earlier this year. I thought, as you know, one of the struggles when you're an energy-based team is that we play a lot of games in the NBA and you start to lose some of that energy And you start to struggle a little bit. And I thought this post-Christmas San Antonio game, this team was kind of dead-legged and didn't have that juice. I thought they had it last night. 50-50 balls they generally were getting. They were battling loose ball rebounds they were getting. There were a lot of energy plays in last night's game. I, I don't know the deflections or hustle numbers or some of those things. And sometimes those show something and sometimes they don't. But it felt last night like, yeah, it says we only had... Um, four loose ball recoveries last night, so I I would kind of disagree with that. Thirteen deflections, Vanderbilt three, Clarkson three, Conley three last night. Um, you know, I thought I thought there was a lot to the way we played last night, so I think that was that was super positive, and then um, and I and, and made things uh, difficult in a lot of different ways for <clears throat> how the um, how the, how the game materialized. So uh, that that's the positive. The negative is that our offense. In the second quarter and in the fourth quarter, really nosedived. And we're the third best offensive team in the league. And I went through all the 24th quarter shots. And on one level, I could say to you, those are not bad shots. On the other level, I've got to say, but. And then the other question on this is, do we need to get Lowry marking in the ball more? So let's talk about those two things. As we continue, uh, it is a Thursday edition of Locked on Jazz today. It is brought to you by our friends over Intercap Lending. That is Steve Carter. It is a wacky little world right now if you're doing lending or trying to uh, get something done. So you need a really good loan officer who understands a way to give you the best deals possible. And you need a company that controls their own loans and cares about their customers. And Intercap does that. Intercap is doing some really neat things right now for you. So... One of the things right now is that um, is hey that you end up with, um, you know, your interest rates are a little different, and and you're trying to find a way to make sure that you're you know prepared if the future lays out well. Intercap's got this thing called FreeFi. It's pretty cool. This program is for anyone who buys a home using Intercap lending from now until March of 2023. They'll have the ability, when interest rates drop back down, to take advantage of a refi, and they'll waive all of the lender fees for the refi, so that that means we will come, uh, they'll cover all the processing and underwriting. Make sure that uh, they want to make sure you understand that, that the escrow, tax insurance, and title fees come from a different company. But Intercap... With, will help their clients um, that are on the fence of buying right now by making sure that you know that if you refi any anytime between now and March of 2025, this offers up till the 2023, then in the two years, that they'll give you, so two years to refinance, that they'll take care of all those fees. That's the type of level Intercap. Go, Steve Carter is our personal loan officer. You can call him at 385-885-28. That's 385-885-28. NMLS number eleven, seven, eight, six, six, six. Intercap cap lending, or feel free to email me directly to get into our, in charge of our friends over at Steve uh, with Steve Carter. Today's show is also brought to you by Rocket Money. Rocket Money at one point was known as True Bill. It is now Rocket Money. True Bill is uh helps you out uh with a it's a financing app. Uh, that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, mentions, uh, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people who have subscriptions forget about a bunch of them, and then they end up paying and paying and paying. Well, Rocket money will follow that for you. They also monitor how you're spending, when you're spending, how your spending's increasing, decreasing. They notify you if a big purchase has gone down to make sure that you are aware. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket Money dot com slash locked on NBA. I've got the app. I find it very useful. It's interesting to watch your spending. It's a little scary during Christmas. That's RocketMoney.com slash locked on NBA. Rocket money dot Rocketmoney.com slash locked on NBA. Sorry, half my head was missing there. <clears throat> All right. I went through the twenty shots. And there's one level where I would say these were not bad shots. In fact, the two shot like the shots I actually like the least are the ones that went in. So Jordan Clarkson has like an impossible shot in the corner on a not great offensive possession, and then Malik Beasley or, or Nikhil Alexander Walker pulls up for a mid-range hopper, and uh, Rudy Gay takes a turnaround jumper out of the left block. Like, Eah. and and those three all went in. Like they all went in. I don't really. I don't know I, I gotta talk to the coaches about this one this one's really complicated to me so I can find these shots and isolate them in a in a kind of vacuum and like just look at Malik beasley right wing de- decently open three forty percent three-point shooter that's a good shot okay and say all right well that's a good shot and then I can Take Lowry marking and had an isolation early in the quarter, drove, spun over his right left shoulder, hook shot. And like, okay, that's a good shot. And there's just a lot of those. Like, I mean, we can run through all. The Rudy Gay three from the upper right, that's a bad shot. Like, Rudy Gay is shooting 14% from three in the fourth quarter of a close game. He probably shouldn't take that shot. Now he's not being guarded, and there's a level where if you're not being guarded, at some point in this league you have to shoot. Okay? What I don't love about these shots and i don't really know what you're supposed to do about this is i would like to see the ball switch sides i would like to see some passes that aren't necessarily for the sake of getting a shot i would like to see some more movement some more touch some more feel this is a little bit of where we went the other night about when these we we had you know i think it was something crazy like 90 passes to shots but only like 245 passes And this is interesting because there's two different viewpoints on this. Like, there's the idea that you should make the pass for good to great. I'm not actually always convinced right now when I'm watching these possessions. I went through the 20 shots and I also froze them. Like, okay, if he moves it, where is it going? That there's always, like, a naturally better look to this. And you're asking guys to make a decision, like one of the big things we talk about a lot is point five decision decision-making. Well, are we literally just telling them that they're supposed to pass three or four times every single time before they take a shot? Like we're not playing seventh grade junior jazz. So I don't really actually, if I'm being transparent, know how to evaluate some of these shots because I don't, when I watched all of them, I was like, okay, decent shot. And I think Sarah Todd, uh, who's here with us on the road, did the same thing. And I think Andy Larson did a little bit of the same thing in his triple team. But at the same time, what I felt that I saw was a a bunch of possessions that did not have a lot of passes. Like, I would have to go back through, and I might do this on the bus to Sacramento today, re-watch the fourth quarter in how many times... Did we have a possession that had multiple passes or changed sides of the floor? And there's some level to me where we've just actually got to do that. That your .5 decision of whether you're going to pass or shoot, the ball's got to switch sides, it's got to move, it's got to get around. Like, the best shots of the night came off of Kelly Linick in the post moving it to Vando on a cut and then he double clutched and missed the layup. <clears throat> and there was, and some of, and some of those kind of things. So, the Warriors threw 60 more passes than we threw last night. Like so the Warriors generally were throwing one more pass of possession than we threw every single time down the floor. And I don't know the balance here in that can you can will already tell a team like okay we're throwing three passes before we shoot. They they would look at him like he's insane. But the essence of what we are is this team that's got to bounce it and ping it and have it bounce around a little bit and have everyone touch and have a soul. Like we talked about that soul early in the year. And that's kind of gone away. Like we're just not moving the ball like we once did. And so, but at the same time, Malik Beasley, who is not on right now, but is generally a 40% three-point shooter. So Mike Conley comes off an action. The guy hugs into Conley, flips to Beasley. Beasley's wide open. Are we really telling him not to shoot? I don't, I don't know. I'll be 100% transparent. I don't know. It will probably be the first question I ask Will Hardy in the presser tomorrow. Um, because I, I, I'm i flummoxed on what the right thing to do there is. Um, I do believe it in the concept of advantage basketball. But... Malik Beasley wide open for three on the first pass might be advantage basketball. But last night was like our seventh fewest passes we've thrown in any game all year. And San Antonio was our 12th fewest passes we've thrown in any game all year. And Washington was like the fewest passes or second fewest. Washington, I think, was the fewest passes we've thrown in a game all year. Um... And Cleveland, in Cleveland, was our second fewest passes. Like, we've stopped passing the basketball. Now, again, the other number that I think is really important is passes to shots, potential assists, super high. So, like, I think we had 92 passes to shots again last night. It's a crazy high number. San Antonio, we're at like 94, I think. So I don't I, 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 I don't know how you coach this. I, I'm pretty certain and comfortable. I think we got to move it one or two more times every possession, but I don't have any idea how you coach that when you're trying to give guys freedom and you want them to play inside and have confidence. So I'm, 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 I'm flustered on that. It's a large component. Ron and I danced around it a little bit on the post, postcast last night of getting Lowry the ball more. So one, he did take 22 shots. He did take six in the fourth quarter. Um, I think there's been an interesting, you know, conversation by Will this year that says like, hey, when we got to recognize him and find him. And I do believe that the more you move the ball, the better it it finds the right guy. So we're moving it maybe not quite enough. This kind of goes back to the same thing. Lowry's not truly an isolation player. However, he's getting better and better at it. So, some of his isolation numbers are now moving into a relatively elite category. He is upwards of, you know, 1.2 points per chance on isolations. Um, And that's getting to be pretty, pretty high level. Now,. To me, that's probably a sign that we just are picking right spots and mismatches and things, and so maybe there's a level where you're going to have to get outside of this offense. Very contrary to what I just said about ping, 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 it's going to be one pass, find the matchup in the post, and have Lowry go to work. Um, He's having a career-high assist, and maybe he'll start to develop more passes on things like that. Um, And, and, maybe, and maybe that's the answer. You're not giving Lowry the ball in the pick-and-roll. Like, he's probably not run 100 pick-and-rolls all season, He's not someone you're you're handing it off to and giving him the ball in the pick and roll. He's never been particularly great at that. Your game with Lowry is a lot of off-ball screening. You're giving him the ball on off-ball screens. That's how he's getting his actions. And teams can defend that. You know, if they switch it, top-block it, do some things, you can take Lowry out of some of those actions. And Lowry's actions are also catch and shoot. He's... You know, on fire from three until late. He missed three good looks, one in the corner, which he, like, is shooting 60% on. And the catch and shoot is going to happen if we ping, 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 ping. So to put that all in a bow, isolate each of those shots individually. I don't think they were bad shots. I don't think there was enough of overall ball movement in that fourth quarter leading to those shots, and I think that built on them being rushed and not being as collective as you want to be. Like, isolate them, they're fine. And, you ha- hey, we had an unusual sh- shooting night. You don't go four of 20 and one of something from three very often. But there could be more movement. But there are – it's not as though we're, like, breaking down, going isolation, one-on-one, selfish basketball, because there are passes leading to shots. So it's pretty tricky. It's an interesting little dance there. And in regards to Lowry – Maybe there is a time now where we occasionally just go into the post, but then that's very contrary to everything else we're saying, where you're trying to ping it, move it, have everyone touch it, feel together, get the motion, get the movement, get the action. You're doing the exact opposite. Tough. I believe this is going to be a super interesting stretch here for this team and Will Hardy and, like, trying to work its way through, like, as we're healthy, who are we again, trying to regain the vibe. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, So, we'll. We'll see. Is there a route for the Jazz to actually have the best chance for Victor Webinyama of any team out there? What? Is that possible still? We'll find out. We'll talk about it next. And late game watch last night uh, on an important late game watch in the NBA uh, as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you uh, in part uh, by N- to, really NHTSA, which means absolutely nothing to you. Here's what matters. Drive sober. Hang out with friends. Some people throw them back a few. Maybe a few too many. Night's a little longer than you thought. And as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, I live nearby. Nothing bad can happen. It's no big deal. Wrong. He might get pulled over. Worst, what's the worst could happen? Insurance goes up. No, no, no. Like bad, bad stuff can happen. You lose your job, totally car, kills kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, they still don't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. So that's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on the roads. To save lives. If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead. Get a ride. It takes only one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. And you don't want to do that. Drive sober or get pulled over. Locked on Jazz for your second listen today. Locked on Sports Today. Thank you very much for tuning in. All right. I watched the Wolves last night. And... We went out for, we stayed in San Francisco, went out for ramen as a group last night, found a fabulous place in San Francisco, super cool, late night, awesome. Late night ramen's high on my list of favorite things in life. Um, so, came back, watched the end of Minnesota um, and New Orleans last night. So, interesting, Minnesota is now in their last ten games 0-7 when Rudy plays and 3-0 and 0 when he doesn't. Rudy was really good last night. So, this one's not on Rudy at all. Minnesota was actually pretty good last night. They actually had the game under control. Zion Williamson was superhuman last night. He scored 14 straight points. They, I love Willie Green. He runs basic stuff, but it's really, really good. So they ran a set late in the game where it was Zion at the top, C.J. McCollum under the basket, Valanchunas setting like an area screen, which means he's not coming to the ball. He's just set. Rudy's defending. Zion comes downhill at the at the. Valanciunas' pick, so he's coming with speed. He's clipping off whoever, uh, Anthony Edwards, who's fundamentals defensively avoiding that wasn't great. Now Rudy's got to guard Zion coming downhill at speed, while CJ McCollum exits the area and is back behind Zion, wide open for three. um, Whoever was the, probably Jaden McDaniels, their best longest defenders on CJ, and he's now leaving the area, leaving Rudy no Kind of having to handle. Zion, one-on-one, and Zion was too good. He scored 14 straight points. He was just amazing, including a three. Um, out of that, it was a neat, you know, it's a basic set. It's basically a Spain pick and roll, except for the fact that just the way they set it up, by having C.J. McCollum at the bottom on the baseline, you have the corners filled. This is getting X-E and O-E, but it's interesting. You have the corners filled, so there's, there's guys defending there. And by having CJ McCullum on the baseline, now when Zion comes downhill off the Jonas pick, there's just a ton of space, right? The the, the other three defenders are all baseline. CJ exiting out the top side means that now all of a sudden his guy's going with him, the other quarter guys are there. There's really no help that can be given. Willie Green does a masterful job of moving help around so that they you can't go to help on Zion. Um it's a tough loss for Minnesota. They were up three, four, five, like late in the game. They kind of had it, and they just didn't make enough plays. They 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 didn't have like horrific mistakes, or you don't you didn't look at this one like Minnesota's had some losses this year where like Anthony Edwards doesn't get back defensively, or there's some other things like that. Um, but it's a confidence kind of blow to them. And frankly, you know what really cost them the game more than anything else was just that Zion was was that great. Like Zion. Uh, was overwhelming. Anthony Edwards had an awesome dunk with 29 seconds left. McDaniel scored with 104 left. Um, the biggest play of the night, frankly, was 116-116, uh, 41 seconds left, and D'Angelo, or Russell throws a soft bounce pass to start an offensive play to Jaden McDaniels, and Zion guesses and picks it off at 18 feet. That was probably the super big mishap of the night where Minnesota just makes plays to lose. Like That was a big one. Um, I mean, that's a bad play by... It's the entry pass to start the offense. It's a bad play by D'Angelo Russell. You've got to make sure um, that pass. But that's the only stop that New Orleans got in the final 233 of the game. Uh, Otherwise, frankly, um, it was, and maybe one on Rudy on a moving pick, but otherwise they didn't get a lot of stops. It was just Zion was completely unstoppable late in the game, 119-118. They win it. Here's what gets interesting. And I... I'm going to just assume because Danny Ainge knows these things that he does this. The leveling of the playoff odds, right? The flattening of the playoff odds, or excuse me, the lottery odds, so that the top three teams right now, Detroit, Charlotte, and Houston, are all at 14% to get Victor Weminyaba, means. And I don't think the Jazz could do this, but just play for a second here. If the Jazz somehow slid into the bottom six here the rest of the way, I know that sounds like crazy, but the Jazz are actually only four games out of the bottom six at this point. It really depends what the Lakers do. And all the other teams that are in that are probably trying to win to some extent except for Oklahoma City. If the Jazz got to the bottom so they get to fifth or sixth, be hard to get much deeper than that. They have a 9% chance to victor Weminyaba. If Minnesota continues to slide and gets to, like, 8 or 9 or 10, okay, they're at 11 right now. Not not unheard of. Like, now, sure, they're going to get Cat back, and I had Minnesota as the number one team in the West. I still kind of believe they'll figure this out, but we're pretty deep into this and they get to that next level that's like 4 or 5%. The Jazz suddenly have the exact same odds as the one of the three worst the three worst teams in the league for Victor Wembanyama. The flattening of the odds at the top suddenly means that someone like the Jazz who are compiling picks have a pretty interesting little equation there. Right? So if you if Houston, Orlando, Detroit or last year were at 14%. If the Jazz are at 6th at 9% and Minnesota somehow got to 8th worst record in the NBA at 6%, the Jazz would have a 15% chance at Victor Weminyama and be the best odds of anyone out there. I don't think that the Jazz are going to get to the 6th worst record in the NBA, though I could write the script very easily for it to happen. And I don't think Minnesota's probably going to get to the 8th, but it's just a really interesting possibility here of the way this works with the flat lottery odds at the top at only 14%, that it doesn't take a lot. Like, do I think that there's a chance the Jazz could end up with the 7th worst record in the NBA by the end of the season? Yep, I do. And do I think there's a chance that the... Minnesota Timberwolves could end up with like the ninth or tenth worst record in the nBA yep, I do, and if you combine those two that gives the jazz a twelve percent lottery odds to get the number one pick. the number top three teams would be at fourteen and the fourth team would be at twelve point five like you'd have the fifth best odds to be now it's not the same as be the fifth best odds of being the one or two pick you you but you do have. At least in that one possibility to win it, you have the odds better. You don't have the right. Does that make sense? The set that you're 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 splitting your numbers. So Detroit and fourteen is not going to drop far enough. You could still end up with a fifth and the ninth picks, but you have that chance for number one at the same. It's it's an interesting little equation. Um, there. So, I I I I don't want to like go. I'm not saying we should go full tank or anything like that. And I'm not saying I think Minnesota's going to totally fall apart. But both the scripts seem totally reasonable to me right now. Minnesota's in a funky spot. Things don't feel good there. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of pressure. Chris Finch has got to be feeling it. Anthony Edwards is trying to make an all-star game. Carl Anthony Towns is still out. Rudy's not impacting the game in the way he did for us in any way, shape, or form. They don't look great. We just lost to the Spurs. And the Warriors shorthanded, like that didn't, those losses are, I don't, again, I don't think they're alignment changing because of the fact that I think we were in a 36 to 48 minute viewpoint, but they at least take the, they might take the voice out of your head of like, we should do this. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Let's leave it at that. And the flattened playoff, the flattened lottery odds, I think change the equation a little bit. Fun times. All right, Jazz and the Kings tomorrow. We'll be back with you tomorrow from Sacramento. Thanks very much for tuning in to Locked on Jazz. Have a wonderful day.